Chapter Nine of Chemical Phenomena in Life by Frederick Chopik. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chemical Actions on Protoplasm and Its Counteractions. Hitherto, we know living protoplasm as a complicated system of colloidal substances possessing a highly developed structure and ruled by a number of catalytic reactions. The complex of these reactions is able to maintain the cell structure, to take up substances from outside the cell to digest them, and to gain from them both energy and cell substance for growth. We have not yet completely treated of the mutual chemical interchange between the outer world and living cells. This influence consists in something more than taking up food and giving off excretion substances. The whole life process depends, to an enormous extent, upon external chemical influences. Minute traces of iron salts, scarcely to be ascertained by chemical analysis, possess the power of greatly accelerating growth in respiration. Life can be destroyed by other substances in quantities which are infinitely smaller than the mass of protoplasm which the deadly substance can injure. Such influences may be called chemical stimuli. Their action is quite comparable to the action on living matter of physical stimuli, such as light, warmth, electricity, and gravity. It is quite a general rule that substances which produce poisonous effects on living cells when applied in a certain concentration, influence living cells quite differently when their concentration is more diluted. Then, stimulating effects are regularly produced. Respiration and growth reach a higher degree than without application of the poison. For example, potato plants treated with copper sulfate show darker green leaves and more vigorous stems than normal plants. We see that poisonous action does not depend only on the chemical nature of substances, but also on the concentration of the substance. We should rather speak of poisonous effects than of poisonous substances. The explanation of the phenomena may be given by the principle of action and counteraction. The poison, for example mercury chloride or carbolic acid, develops a retarding influence on some processes in living protoplasm. Protoplasm is by this action incited to react against the injuring influence, this is done by an acceleration of the chief processes of life, respiration, growth, and probably many others. So the toxic influence is paralyzed. The successful counteraction against the poisonous agent cannot, however, take place when the toxic influence is too strong. Then the latter prevails, and only the harmful consequences become visible. The discovery of further interesting chemical stimuli was made in the course of the studies of the consequences of extirpation of certain organs, as the thyroid gland or the suprarenal bodies in animals. This procedure invariably causes fatal consequences for the organism. It is followed by serious disturbances of the normal metabolism and finally by death, so that there is no doubt that these glands perform important functions. But since the organs mentioned have no excretory duct, the substances produced by them must be transferred directly into the circulation of the blood. This internal secretion appears to be of the greatest importance. Seemingly very different substances are produced by these glands. Not only proteids, but also aromatic carbon compounds have been stated to play a part in internal secretion. But all these substances exert stimulating and regulating effects on the organism. They are generally united under the name of hormones. Even plants seem regularly to produce such substances. The swelling of the ovary after pollination is caused by certain soluble substances of the pollen. Very likely the formation of flowers, or of the sexual organs in lower plants, 
is connected with the occurrence of hormones in the organism of plants. Most remarkable chemical actions and counteractions are observed in living protoplasm when other cells and their products, not only in inorganic poison, are the injuring part. We may be reminded of the interesting phenomenon with which we have become acquainted in the formation of anti-enzymes. In the animal which has had an enzyme solution injected into its veins, a substance is formed which is able to hinder the action of this, but of no other enzyme. Such phenomena are widely spread and are most important for the study of chemical processes in cells. In studies on pathogenic bacteria, it has been shown that many of them produce substances which are most poisonous even in the smallest quantity, but differ from other poisons by their albuminoid character and their instability when heated. By boiling, they may be easily destroyed. Such poisons are formed only by living cells. We call them cytotoxins. Such cytotoxins have become known not only from bacteria, but even from higher plants and animals. The fly agaric and some of its relations, the seed of the castor oil plant and of croton, as well as the seed of abrus picatorius, the jequirity plant, contain toxins of exceedingly strong action. Cytotoxins, further, are found in snakes, toads, the blood of the eel, and some other fish. If we consider the characteristics of cytotoxins, we feel very much reminded of the properties of enzymes. The resemblance increases when we learn that cytotoxins, quite in the same way as the enzymes, cause the formation of specific antisubstances when brought into the veins. The formation of antitoxins is quite analogous to the formation of antienzymes. Antitoxins have the specific effect of rendering the cytotoxin to which they correspond inefficacious. The antitoxin phenomenon, as we know, plays an important part in the defense of animal and human organisms against the toxin-producing bacteria in infectious diseases. The production of antibodies is a most remarkable feature in the mutual chemical influencing of living cells against alien living cells and their chemical products. Especially for pathology, the study of such phenomena is at present of the greatest importance. A whole new branch of biochemistry, called immunochemistry, has been built up upon the basis of the general experiences mentioned above. In our general review of the chemical phenomena in life, we cannot but lightly touch on the facts which show how the living organism protects itself against the attacks of microbes. These facts are very interesting for us to illustrate how the protective substances and the aggressive substances of living cells may enter upon reactions. Cytotoxins, as well as enzymes, are typically colloidal substances, and so are antitoxins. When antitoxins neutralize the cytotoxins, we could think that the cytotoxins would be destroyed. But it is not so. If we heat the mixture of antitoxin and cytotoxin to nearly the temperature at which the latter is destroyed by heat, we can reach a point when the mixture again becomes toxic. We get the impression that the antitoxin in the compound has been sooner destroyed by heat than the cytotoxin, and the latter has again become free and effective. This most important experiment shows us that both antisubstances enter into a combination analogous to that of chemical compounds. Since we know that both substances are colloids, we could suppose that colloid reactions are responsible for the phenomenon. Otherwise, we could think that the reaction is to be considered a chemical combination of both substances. At present, there are many difficulties in the way of giving a satisfactory explanation of the reaction. Arrhenius drew a most instructive parallel 
between the neutralization of toxin and antitoxin and the neutralization of a moderately strong alkali, such as ammonia, with a weak acid, for example, boric acid. Both processes, indeed, have a great resemblance. Ehrlich's ingenious hypothesis, well known as the so-called side-chain theory, culminates in the supposition that the anti-substances represent highly compound molecules with many atom groups, such as proteids, possess. The neutralization is done by binding two distinct groups. These groups may be destroyed by heat, and both substances again set free. Possibly the two theories will one day be combined. The hypothesis of Arrhenius is more satisfactory for the scientific chemist. The theory of Ehrlich is founded upon a sound atomistic basis and has proved of great heuristic value. When toxin and antitoxin solutions are mixed, no change can be seen in the solution. With other antibodies, it is quite different. It was found that the blood serum of animals which had been injected with bacteria of typhoid fever or cholera asiatica gave a strong precipitate with the limpid filtrate from cultures of the same bacteria. Even this effect is quite specific. Further, it was shown by a series of experiments that similar results are obtained by injection of different proteids into the venous system of animals. The blood serum is then able to precipitate the proteid which was injected, and exclusively this proteid, from its solutions. All these reactions were called precipitin reactions. They are, in many respects, most interesting. In the first place, they show that comparatively primitive protein bodies cause the same anti-reaction as enzymes or cytotoxins. But only protein bodies are known to give the reaction, no other organic compounds. When the proteid is decomposed by pepsin and hydrochloric acid, the precipitin reaction cannot be obtained again. The simple amino acids which are formed from protein in digestion do not give the precipitin reaction. But the reaction is also satisfactorily obtained in albumoses and peptones, the most primitive protein bodies. There is every hope of the possibility of soon explaining this reaction much more exactly than is at present possible. But even now we see what complicated reactions can take place among proteids, and how easily precipitates are formed without seriously changing the original proteids. Most remarkable is the fact that the proteids of a species of plant or animal do not give any precipitin reaction with the blood serum of an animal treated with the proteid of the same plant or the same animal. Therefore, the reaction can be used to distinguish whether a proteid is an alien one or one belonging to a certain species. Experiments were made by Uhlenhuth on anthropoid apes and on groups of lower apes. Anthropoid serum from animals which were treated with the blood of man does not give any precipitin reaction. But serum from other apes which were treated with the blood of man gives a distinct reaction. We see from this fact that the blood of anthropoids is not essentially different from that of man. The proteids are the same in both. The result is that each species of organism has its own specific proteids. We understand now why the alien proteids, which are taken in with the food, have to be split up until they finally form amino acids, so that the alien protein structure is quite annihilated. Then the cells reconstruct the proteins according to the specific structure of protein which is characteristic of the particular species of organism. Further, we learn from the experiments on precipitin reactions that the morphological position of a species in the system is also physiologically founded. 
we may suppose that closely related species must also show chemical relations. The chemical mechanism of the precipitin reaction is not yet clear. We can think of the phenomenon mentioned in a foregoing chapter that two colloids of contrary electric charge flake each other out. Since albuminous substances readily change the kind of electric charge, many opportunities would be given to cause such precipitate reactions. It has been shown without doubt that the precipitin is entirely consumed in the reaction. Therefore, we cannot state that any resemblance exists with enzyme reactions. Living cells can even produce specific substances having the properties of proteids which have the power to agglutinate other cells or unicellular organisms such as bacteria. A similar effect is obtained by adding to a culture of typhoid bacteria in the test tube some of the blood serum of an animal which has been previously treated with typhoid bacteria by intravenous injection. Flakes of bacteria are formed. Between them the liquid becomes quite limpid, and the medium which had been turbid with bacteria shows itself later on quite clear, and all the bacteria are found in the deposit. The substance responsible for this reaction, the so-called agglutination of bacteria, is destroyed by heat and has the properties of a protein body. Substances of this kind we call agglutinins. Even this reaction is a strictly specific one. The agglutinin produced by injection of a certain species of bacteria gives to the blood serum the specific agglutinating action on these bacteria. Agglutination effects occur even in other toxins. The toxin substance from the seeds of the castor oil plant strongly agglutinates the red blood cells, and so does the jequirity toxin. There is no doubt that the agglutinin acts on certain substances in the bacteria cells or other agglutinable cells. These substances are probably transformed into a gelatinous state, which is seen in the clinging together of the cells. The agglutinin is entirely consumed in this reaction. It may therefore rather be compared to a neutralization than to an enzyme action. The most successful study of the alterations which occur in the blood of animals after intravenous injections of pathogenic bacteria and their products showed far more substances formed which serve for the protection of the organism than we have here mentioned. But all these substances, such as opsonines, bacterial lysins, and further the bacterial substances, such as aggressins and others, which assist parasites against their hosts, have hitherto not been of such general biological interest that we need treat of them. This chapter had the purpose of showing that numerous chemical influences are exercised upon living protoplasm by the protein substances of other cells, and that such reactions have a markedly specific feature. The life process can be stimulated or retarded by these influences, production of certain substances can be provoked or hindered, and death can even be caused by such cell substances. We learned how far the substantial specificity goes in an organism. The structure in protoplasm is certainly not the only characteristic which is decisive for living substance. We have also continually to keep in mind the chemical nature of the substances in protoplasm. Modern chemistry is not yet quite sufficiently advanced to clear up this most interesting complex of reactions between highly composed protein bodies. It is still the question whether the reactions between toxins and their antibodies are really of ordinary chemical character, or whether they belong to the territory of colloidal reactions. Here is one of the most suggestive problems of modern biology. There is no doubt 
that enormous progress will come from further study of immunochemistry. End of chapter 9